Uh, the one announcement I have is this, and it, it dovetails into what I was just talking about. So as I said, this is the last week of the book of James, uh, and next week we're going to start a short little series, um, six weeks, and it's called We Are, um, and it's talking about what it means to be a church member. And so we're going to do six different weeks of what it means to be a part of a church body, a church family, etc. And so uh, Joe and I will be preaching through that the next six weeks. After that, for the entire fall, we're going to do First Kings and then Christmas and then for the spring, Second Kings. So we're super excited about... Uh, the next year of what we're going to be looking at as far as um, preaching. But I want to I make sure that you know that these next six weeks, um, if you can be six out of six, it's crucial. It's just crucial. Four and five out of six is okay. Six out of six is exactly in the Lord's will. So, <laughs> so we, we, want you to, uh, we want you to really be here so you can hear um, um, all the uh, things that Joe and I think that are just crucial for you to know of what it means to be a church member. So that starts next week. So anyway, we are going to be, as I said, here in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. So I'll pray uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in. And as I said, we're going to pray for the Atani and for Courtney. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these mission opportunities that you're bringing before us here at Remedy. We're super excited to see uh, what might happen Thank you for the relationship we already have with Jason. Thank you for Chris and Andy um, going to Georgia here in the next few weeks. I pray that that is a fruitful trip, uh, that they have a great time with Jason, that they're able to connect with some people from the Horn and even specifically uh, from <clears throat> the people group, the, the Itani. Uh, we've been praying them for a, for a long time, Lord. They're unreached, meaning close to a million that have no access to or haven't heard of the gospel, although... I'm sure there's some here now, but we pray that we would have an opportunity here soon to be able to preach the gospel to them um, and get to know them and uh, that you would use us for your glory for that. Also, I thank you for Courtney and her uh, serving in Asia. We pray that you continue to bless her. We thank you that she got to enjoy Chick-fil-A sauce with her friends and that uh, you would continue to use her and that you would multiply her ministry there and that many people come to know Jesus uh, for the couple of years that she's there. We love her so much, and we miss her, and we pray that you continue to use her mightily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're able to, we stand when we read together. So if you're able to stand with me, we'll be in James chapter 5, verse 13. Um, I'll read the whole text, and then after I read it, you'll say, I'll say, thanks. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. You'll say, thanks be to God. And of course, as you're saying, thanks be to God, this is for you a way to, of course, thanks, thank Thank the Lord he's given us his word, but also let it be for you a way to say, God, the things that you show me in the text here, I just want to be obedient. I want to say yes. I want you to use me in these. So starting verse 13, <clears throat> is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back... 
Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So, um, there's a famous hymn that has this particular line in it. And I think that it, it helps us understand our Christian experience as we walk through uh, as we walk through our life. And I, it, it'll pertain to the text, particularly the last couple of verses, but really the entire thing. It says this, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. So we, 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 we acknowledge, and it's in the scripture here, that there are people that have hearts that will sometimes wander. And he's praying, Lord, Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And so in this text, I think one of the the big ideas that we're going to see in verses 13 through 20 is particularly how we can fight wandering. W-A. Like how do we, how can we fight against wandering happening? Uh, And in the text, there's really two big ways. These won't be on the screen. I don't have notes. I just want you to Try, try to follow me. So there's two big ways today that we'll fight wondering. The first way is in verses 13 through 18. And the last way is in those last two verses, 19 and 20. So in the first big way you'll see in verse 13 through 18 is prayer. The way that it, you fight against having a soul that wanders in verses 13 through 18 is through prayer. And we'll look at the different uh, aspects of, of prayer uh, and the instructions for praying there in verses 13 through 18. And then la- in the second section, those last two verses, the way that we fight against wandering is by the ministry of, recon- of restoration. You can call it reconciliation, but really the ministry of restoration so that we as Christians uh, notice and uh, watch people around us that, that have wandered away, as it says here in verse 19 and 20, and we go and we seek after them and we, we seek to have them restored unto God. That's, that's the, the two big ways, the two ministries of the church that can fight against spiritual wandering away is through prayer and restoration. So we're going to look at prayer in verses 13 through <coughs> 18 first, and then we'll, we'll go to 19 and 20. So in verses 13 through 18, I see three types of praying that help us fight against the spiritual drift. And I'll just point them out really fast. They're, they're really, I think, obvious in the text, but I'll, I'll make sure you can see them. Um, three types of praying. One, you can see it right there in verse 13. Is anyone when you suffer? He says, let him pray. Let him pray. So the first type of praying that happens is this praying for yourself, this individual prayer, and, and it's kind of circling around your individual prayer life. We'll talk about what that looks like in just a second. So that's the first kind of prayer. The second kind of prayer, you can see it right there in 14 and 15. Um, is anyone you sick uh, among you sick? Let him call for the elders to pray over him. So you've got individual prayer in verse 13. The second kind you have are elder-led, elder-instigated, and elder praying for specifically someone who's sick. That's the second kind of prayer you can see. The last one you can see is in verse 16. Uh, it says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. So this third, if the, if the first one's individual uh, in verse 13, and the second one is elders praying for the church, praying for specifically sick people. The third one there in 16, confessing your sins and praying for one another, it, it widens it out. And this is in, incorporating the entire church community. And this is the church community praying for 
for each other, and it's multifaceted. It has several different ways that it can look. But those are the three kinds of prayers that we see uh, being described here in this text. And remember, it all falls under the big heading of fighting against people that are wondering. So let's look at those, those three types of prayers. You can see them here in the text. We'll talk about the first one. If any, in verse 13, if anyone is among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him see pray, sing praise. So what we can see here is there's there's two different kinds of um, uh, two different kinds of responses or different kinds of uh, things that are going on in their life. One's suffering and one's cheerful. So we can see that's one thing is clear is whether you're happy or whether you're sad. Whatever's going on in your life, prayer is always the answer for what's going on. Uh, we, we, singing praise is prayer, by the way. Uh, it's, it's singing to God. It's saying to God um, what's, that, you're, that you're giving him uh, praise and glory for what's going on. But w- one thing we know, whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, prayer is always the answer. Our first and right response should always be to pray. God wants us to pray in all seasons of life. Calvin says it this way. There is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. And that's in the context of Jane 5, he's talking about prayer. And so uh, there's two ways that he invites us to make sure that we're in constant prayer in our individual lives. So we're talking about individual lives. You should, you should be a, we all should be uh, people who go to the Lord as often as we can in prayer. And he has us two ways to think about. One is suffering and the second is cheerful. So we see here an individual prayer about suffering. And remember that James opens this letter uh, in James 1, 2 about suffering, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so he opens up talking about the fact that we w- will experience suffering. And whenever we do experience suffering, we should count it joy. The Psalms are filled with uh, reminders of people who are suffering and they're being led to pray when they're suffering. Um, they're experiencing suffering and God wants, and they want them to God to move on their behalf where you can see like for an example, it's throughout the Psalms, but an example, Psalm 13 verse one and two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? This guy's, this guy's in pain. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me. So he's, he's praying, he's suffering and he's asking the Lord, come and do something for me on my behalf. And so when these things come in your life, trials, sufferings, etc., what the Lord wants you to do is pray. He wants you to lift up your voice to him. And if you want to say, well, well, what do I say then? There's lots of things you can say, but if we just use just the book of James that we've kind of looked at over these last 10 weeks or so, uh, you can pray for these things. Just looking at the text, you can look at James 1, 2, pray for joy. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Then that's the first thing you can pray. God, help me be joyful. I don't know. Uh, how to be joyful in the midst of suffering. Verse five in chapter one, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. You can say, God, give me joy. God, give me wisdom in the midst of this suffering. I need it. Um, in verse 12, uh, you, in, in chapter one, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. God, help me persevere through this suffering. So these are at least some things that you can pray. La- also, you can see in, uh, in chapter five, um, that we saw last week, we talked about what it means to be patient in the midst of suffering. You can pray for patience. So those, those are at least four things. If you don't know what to pray, just from the book of James, whenever you are suffering and, you, and Scripture tells us to go to God in prayer, you can pray for joy, wisdom, perseverance, patience. These are at least some of the things that we can go to him. So whenever we're in the midst of suffering, all seasons of life, our first impulse should not be, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this um, 
taking care of myself. Our first impulse should be to go to the Lord in prayer. But also James acknowledges that not everybody's experiencing suffering. A lot of us are, but some of us are actually in good seasons. If any of you are cheerful, let him sing praise. And so James acknowledges that there are people in life that are doing well and they're happy. They're cheerful. They're having things go great. And that's awesome. We should be excited for them as well. And um, if you are experiencing that, you shouldn't feel bad. You should be happy that things are going that way. And uh, you should notice what what James, thereby God, tells you to do. Uh, Sing praise. If anybody is cheerful, let him sing praise. That's in the command form. He's not throwing out a suggestion. Hey, if things are going well because of God's sovereignty in your life, maybe you should, you know, sing some praise to him. This is in the command form. If things are going well in your life... God is saying, or James is saying, thereby God, sing praise to God for it. Let him know. You should sing to him. Praise kills idols in our life. Praise glorifies God more in our life. And so, um, we, and we should think about singing praise as prayers. And so, the first thing that we see in individual uh, prayers, and of course there's numerous others, but in the text we see in the midst of suffering or uh, cheerfulness, that our first impulse should be to go to the Lord in prayer and give him thanks or ask him for help. That's the first one. The second, uh, the second prayer or the second type of prayer being portrayed to us is the elder prayer. You can see that in verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? This word sick is also thought to be weak. Um, so we're talking about someone who is um, very, very ill. Very ill. Not fever, but bedridden likely bedridden now i'll show you some more textual evidence for that um what we can discern is that they're so bedridden they're not able to come to a corporate fellowship uh they need they need help like the lord or not the lord but they have been brought to a place where they are uh very very sick and they want the elders if anyone among you sick or very weak let him call for the elders. This is the, this is the pastors of the church. He doesn't even say apostles in the first century. It's curious, right? Um, he says, you need your shepherds. If a sheep is wounded, whom should he go to but except the shepherd? One commentator said that. I can't remember where it was. I just popped in my head. But so, therefore, it's the elders. It's the pastors. It's the overseers. The, the, those that would be the pastors in the church. Let them call for the elders of the church. And let them, when you see this here, pray over him. Textually, we can see that that means that likely this person's laying, they're bedridden, they're super sick, and the elders would come pray over him, uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. uh, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord, here it is, the Lord will raise him up. Again, textually, this is given the evidence that he's likely bedridden, laying, and the Lord will raise him up and make him strong again. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this person is very sick, Likely not able to get out into the normal fellowship and functions of the church. He's missing out on the life of the family. And so since that's the case, um, they need the elders to come pray over them. And if that happens, then and the Lord blesses and the Lord can raise him up. And the elders are called to be the people that come and pray for personal healings for this sickness. Now, uh, the, uh, the healings is not, I don't have time for this, but... Uh, well, I just don't have time for it. So we got to be careful when we talk about healings. We're not talking about, you know, like uh, Benny Hinn kind of thing. We're just talking about the elders in faith coming and praying over him. And if the Lord would grant healing for him, it would. Uh, it's not a, uh, 
uh, a different kind of what you might think of, you know, you see on TV where the guy heals somebody of blindness that had a wristwatch on or something like that. Um, I've seen that. So anyway, uh, so here, here they're said, if someone's sick, then the elders should be called. And whenever they're called, uh, they should come and pray that the Lord would heal this man. And notice uh, <clears throat> it's the in verse 15, a prayer of faith, a prayer of faith. I'm going to talk about what that means in just a second. Um, whenever I was a student pastor at TKK Baptist uh, up in Fort Mill uh, from 2004 to 2008, um, I was the interim pastor for a little bit there also. I was also uh, the associate pastor. Or, uh, and there was this man there. His name was David Ramsey, not the financial guy. Not the financial guy. He was, his name was David Ramsey, um, oddly enough. And he had this rare form of leukemia, and he wasn't doing that well. He wasn't doing that well. As a matter of fact, um, he was coming to the close of the, of the fight, and he was in his final weeks. And his wife, Carol, came to me, and the other interim pastor at the time, his name was Chip. Um, and he came to us, and he had, she had just read James five fourteen, and wanted to know if we could come pray for David. If we would come up to the hospital and if we would be able to pray for him, we, of course, of course. And so we went to the hospital, we anointed his head with oil and we prayed for him for maybe 30, 45 minutes, just Chip and I, begging the Lord to heal him if it would be his will uh, or begging the Lord to give David more time. He had small children at the time and begging the Lord to give him at least more time with his children. And after this, literally the next day, Carol calls us up and says, David has taken a turn for the better. That um, he's peaking up, he's looking better, he's getting his color, he's moving around more. Now, he ultimately did not win the fight. But in his final weeks, where they were getting ready to start calling in hospice, we came and prayed. And after that, he lived about another nine months after we went and prayed for him that that day. And I just think, you know, this is amazing. It's the first time I had ever seen and been a part of James five fourteen uh, being used, and actually like, wow, God just did something. It was it was absolutely amazing. And so we hear those kinds of stories, and it always was like somebody did it, and maybe it's true or not. I saw it. David took an amazing turn and had a little, a, a lot more time with his wife and kids. Now. Ultimately, he lost. And you could say, well, then it didn't work. Yes, I think it did work. Um, the healing is the healing in which God heals the way he wants. And if God wanted to bring him home at the time he did, it was his perfect plan. But nevertheless, uh, I saw it firsthand where Chip and I went, anointed him with oil and prayed. And the Lord did something absolutely amazing. Sometimes God answers fully. Sometimes God answers and gives more time. Sometimes God doesn't answer right away. And sometimes God doesn't answer. But nevertheless, we know that we are to do this. If someone is sick, um, very weak, and they're in their final stages, you should call for the elders of the church to come. And <clears throat> it's not because the elders have magical super healing powers. That's not, the, that's not how you should think about it. It's because God has said that the elders should come because when they pray, they will pray a prayer of faith. I'm going to talk about what that means in just a second. But let's just take one little look here and ask about the oil. What is, what is this oil? Why does it have to be anointed with oil? Because there's, there's kind of three different ways that you can think about how, what's the oil doing. Uh, one is that it's actually medicinal. One is it's almost sacramental. And the other is that it's symbolic. The, the medicinal, this is kind of the essential oil theologian, that it's, uh, it's going to actually do something medicinal. And I just don't think that's correct. I'm sorry if you sell it. Um, uh, 
that's not what is happening. The second was sacramental. And this is be- the belief that the pastor priests, whenever he anoints the person with oil, that it's in that, that he's literally doing a, 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 a sacrament where he's removing sin and remnants. I don't, I don't think that's a correct view either. It's, I think it's obviously the third view here that I said, which is symbolic. The putting oil on the head is signifying, um, and that's all, it's symbolism that God, we want you to set this person apart and we're praying in faith that you'll do healing. It's signifying that this person is special to us. This person is weak. We love this person. And so we're, we're consecrating them in such a way that your purposes would happen. And if it would be your will, Lord, please do it. And so um, Sam Albury says, The anointing oil by itself points to being anointed by the Spirit as God raises and equips for people for his service. In James' context, the sick person could be healed. And so... Uh, <clears throat> it, since the oil is what he tells us to do, but I think it's more symbolic. Uh, it, obviously, it means that you don't have to use the oil if you want, because the most important part is verse 15, the prayer of faith. That is the key. What is this prayer of faith? And this is why I said the elders don't have magical powers or, or anything. I think that when we talk about the prayer of faith, it means that um, it's the faith of the elders. It's the faith of the pastors in God. That they have this um, core belief, foundational belief. God is absolutely bigger than this sickness. And if he chooses to, I believe and I totally trust in him that he can completely eradicate the sickness. So when we talk about the prayer of faith, we're not talking about something magical. We're talking about the fact that the Lord is the key. That they have a big faith in God that he's bigger than anything. And that he can heal this person completely. And it says, the prayer of faith will save the person who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And then it has this interesting little phrase there in the end of 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So all along we've talked about them being sick and you go to them and you anoint them with oil and you're praying for them and you're praying that the Lord would heal them. And thus far we haven't mentioned at all the fact that this man's laying here that's bedridden is a sinner and that he also needs to be forgiven. So James, in this process, is assuming that a part of this elder-led prayer for the sick person, that there would still be a time of confession of sin, and that he needs, just like every person, like in John 5, uh, in the healing pool of Bethesda, uh, where the man is healed, but Jesus tells him that his sins still need to be forgiven. And I think it's in verse 14 um, of chapter 5. This man's still a sinner, and the most important healing he needs is not just a physical healing, but he needs to be forgiven of his sin. And so it's assumed that there would be a time where the gospel would be presented and repentance would happen. So that's the second kind of prayer. The first one we see is individual prayer in verse 13. The second we can see is the elders coming and praying for someone who's sick. And the third one we see is right there in verse 16. <coughs> Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's, a, that's an amazing part right there, the prayer of a righteous person. Now, we've talked about the prayer of faith that the elders have. And so whenever we get into verse 16, we can think, oh, that must mean the prayers of a righteous person has great power, that it's pertaining to the elders then, since they have the ability to have the prayer of faith. That's not the case. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, let's talk about this praying for one another. It says in verse 16, therefore... 
Confess your sins one another and pray for one another. So James is widening the scope here of how prayer can look to the entire church community. And as I said, it's, it's multifaceted. It can take the place in what would be our, uh, for us, I'm just using kind of practical examples that we have at, at, at Remedy uh, to give you some ideas of what I mean by multifaceted. So in our Wednesday, first Wednesday night of each month where we get together and pray in our corporate prayer, it, it could take the place of that. Uh, it can also just be one-on-one when you meet at each other's houses or Starbucks or wherever you meet. Uh, it can also just be community groups whenever you mention things that are going on. But the point is that the whole church has a responsibility together with the whole church uh, around each other to pray one-on-one and to pray and confess to each other and intercede for each other. Not just the elders, but the whole entire community of faith has the responsibility to meet with, pray for, get to know what's going on in each other's lives and with the rest of the community of faith and pray for each other. And so if we're just going to make a direct application um, for those of you, especially that would be members, who in your community group, we could start there, are the people that you have an ongoing relationship of prayer. It, it doesn't have to be every week. If it is, awesome. If it's every month, that's great. But at some point, uh, you should have in, in your group a relationship of prayer with someone that you are being able to tell them what's going on in your life and asking for prayer and they're telling you what's going on in their life and you're praying for them. This is the general gist of where he's going. Um, And the main content that should be happening there is confession of sins. Confession of sins. Now, I've had someone uh, tell me that they don't think that they should have to confess their sins to other people in the church because it's uncomfortable and they don't think that it's right. Um, and I just don't know how to read James chapter five sixteen and think that's the case. Of course, you're forgiven of your sin if you're in Christ. Of course you are. But nevertheless, because of Paul explains in Rome seven, we have ongoing sin that we want to fight against. And so, uh, the main content here is in this prayer relationship with likely someone in your community group. And I would even say same gender, um, that you have this prayer relationship with. Um, I don't think that verse 16 by James is being presented to us as optional. I don't think that he's saying, if you want to, church member, probably be a good idea to have someone that you can confess your sins with back and forth. Now, I get it that you're probably not going to meet someone this morning and have this kind of prayer night tonight. I get that. You have to get to know them. Has to be someone you trust, someone you love, etc. But start taking those steps if you don't have that to start meeting someone that's like-minded that you can get to know and love and trust so that you can start doing that. Um, it's biblical. Doesn't seem to be optional for us. You might be thinking, I don't have anyone, but I'm, I'm going to say that the Lord is putting, because he's always working, someone in your life at the right place at the right time. Uh, so one day I was uh, going up to Charlotte because as you might know, we're, we're a member of Acts 29. Uh, it's a church planning network. So <clears throat> there's a guy named Larry that goes to church here and he's interested in planning a church one day. Uh, and so we went up to Charlotte one day because uh, they were doing an Acts 29 meeting and he, I was letting him meet some of the, uh, I, I'm the only one in South Carolina. The rest of them are all in, up in Charlotte. So I'm part of the Charlotte network. So Larry's getting to know people. And what they do is we have uh, a, a meeting at 10 where we talk theology and pray and, you know, just talk shop, uh, have lunch for, I don't know, till one or two, and then we come home. And so 
every once in a while in my life, I get these migraines um, and they, they just knock me out uh, and they can be pretty bad. So we were up there and we were talking shop and we we're doing in the 10 o'clock thing. And, you know, Larry was getting to know people's great. And then uh, we went out to lunch at this cheeseburger place in, in Charlotte. And it was awesome. Like, I don't know the name of them. So all of a sudden I start feel I can feel them now. I know when they're coming. And I, it felt, I felt it coming. And I was like, hey, Larry, uh, I'm getting a migraine. It's coming on and I got to get back to Rock Hill because it's going to take 45 minutes. And once it hits me, I'm done. And I usually throw up. So I didn't want to. And so I was like, Larry, if we can go now, I think I can make it home. And so we're going and he's like, all right, let's go. We get in the car and we're driving down (coughs) Interstate 77. And I just crossed the line at Carowinds, right? And so I'm in South Carolina. I'm like, all right. And it's, it's just packed. The interstate's packed and I'm in the left lane, you know, right there. I just passed the, 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 the ramp, the, the exit ramp, you know, where you can go use the restroom and stuff. And so I'm in between exit 90 and 88 on 77. And I'm in the left lane and I'm driving and I'm like, uh, Larry, look in the back seat. I think there's a Walmart bag. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And so he reaches back there and I said, just open it up and put it in my lap. And so he does. I'm driving 65 miles an hour in the interstate, packed interstate. And I'm putting it in my lap and I'm like, okay, Larry. So uh, here's what's going to happen. Probably in the next minute, I'm going to start throwing up. And I need for you to grab the wheel and let us, like, not, let, not die. And he's like, all right. And he's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm serious. It's going to happen. And so, because uh, my, my head's just pounding by that. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm, I can't get off the interstate. I'm in the left lane, and there's cars everywhere. And all of a sudden, there we go. I'm like, all right, Larry, grab the wheel. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm in the passenger seat on the interstate. I mean, the driver's seat on the interstate, throwing up into Walmart bags. And Larry's driving. And I'm just like, are we all right? Do I need to give it gas, brake? I don't know. And he's just driving. And so I, I, immediately, I, I, because I feel terrible, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ugh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, my whole point is, here's his. You're like, why did he tell me that? Here's why. Um, <laughs> God placed Larry there that day right around me because at the perfect place at the right time, because without him, I would have died. I would have just died. And in the same way, the Lord has placed people around you. I promise you to, to keep you alive spiritually so that you have someone. I, God is working around you right now to keep you alive spiritually so that you can talk to and pray with. God puts people in the right place at the right time for your spiritual care always. They're there. I know you might be convinced that they're not around you, but someone is that you can have this relationship with and you can be able to be cared for through prayer. Um, so you see this and you're like, okay, I believe it, but I have this one little hang up because it says in verse 16 and B, The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Who is this? Who's this uh, person that can pray with this amazing righteousness? It must be the elders. In the context, it is not the elders. It's the person that by, and this is, I think, I think it's just Christians. The person that by God's grace, through the work of Christ, because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, uh, they've been placed in right relationship with God because of Christ dying for them on the cross. And now uh, they're living. They're seeking to live a life of obedience. I think that's what it means. That person, that's a, that's a Christian. That person is able to do this. That person has the ability to be a person that can pray. Um, they're a righteous person and they have great power when they pray. So I want you to hear this. This is super important. You who are believers in Christ, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, your prayers have great power in their working. 
not the person beside you. Them too, if they're Christian. You, you, you might not, you, you, you've convinced yourself that that's not me, that's someone else. Don't miss this. You have great power in your workings of your prayer because of God. Not, not because of you, right? Not because of me, but because of God. You have this ability in you. And James wants you to know this. He wants you to be with the psalmist, Psalm 116, 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The Lord has so moved in this psalmist's heart. He knows that the Lord hears him. And so he is determined to say, I will call on him as long as I live. That should be you. You should determine in your heart that you will call upon him as long as you live because he hears your voice, he hears your pleas for mercy, because you are able to pray like a righteous person. And so James is so, that's, that, um, that first little section we just looked at in verses 13 through 16, that's um, kind of instructions for prayer, those three types. Um, in verses 17 and 18, uh, he's going to help as he's given, if, if we're talking about prayer and restoration, this was prayer. And that first section we just looked at with those three prayers are the instructions for prayer. We're still in prayer, but underneath that, in, in this story of Elijah, here's the inspiration for prayer. Those were the instructions. Now we're looking at here in 17 and 18, the inspiration. Because every one of us, when we hear that, thinks, well, that's not me. I don't feel like that's me. And James knows that we're all going to think that. And so now he's going to give you inspiration to pray right here in verses 17 and 18 with Elijah. So if you think that you can never be the righteous person to pray with great power, I want you to fret not. James knows that we're thinking that and he wants to encourage us. How? Here's how he's going to do it. With the example of this unheard of nobody uh, named Elijah. Uh, that's a joke, right? Um, ha ha, that's funny. So you're thinking, uh, how's that encouraging? Uh, he's going to hold up Elijah from the Old Testament and say, look, Elijah did it. So can you. And you're going to be like, likely, you're going to think, um, isn't that the guy that could pray so well that fire literally came out of the sky and destroyed the, the Baal at Mount Carmel? Yes. Yes, it is. That's exactly what James wants you to think. And he wants you to know that unheard of nobody, Elijah, who could pray like that, has the ability to pray. And you have the same ability to pray that way. That's what he's trying to do right here. He's trying to help you see you can pray just like that. Okay, why is that the case? James wants you to know that you and I can pray just like Elijah. Notice what he does. Notice what he does. When as soon as he says Elijah, you're like, well, forget that. And note, look what he says. He cuts off our first, our first argument. Was a man with a nature just like ours. So what's he doing? He's taking this lofty view of Elijah and, you know, the view that we have of ourselves, if I could reach far, and he's just saying, hey, guess what? You're just like him. You're just like him. We both have human, we're both humans. We both have mouths. We both have brains. We have the, both have the ability to, to obey God. We both have the ability to speak to God. There it is. So yes, you can pray just as effectively as Elijah. Further, and maybe the most important part, 
with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again and, my, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, uh, whom, I think that's right, is the object, might be who, of the prayer. Who is he praying to? The same person we pray to. And this is the most important part. This is why you can pray just like Elijah. God is the person that he's praying for. So not only are we the same like Elijah, we're also praying to the same huge God. So in 1 Kings 17 and 18, James is telling us when you look at those, and Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain in 17 for three and a half years. He prayed to God who's able to do that and it didn't. And then 1 Kings 18, when he prayed to God that it would rain, it did. And he's dependent completely on God and his word. The rain didn't come for one reason. Not because primarily Elijah prayed it, although that is the case. God, God didn't bring the rain. And then the rain did come after the drought because God, he answers our prayer. So he's trying to help us understand that a righteous person prayer has great power. And you can pray just like Elijah because you're a man just like him and you pray to the same God as him. And so your, your prayers have amazing power. So the inspiration for prayer is Elijah. Piper says it this way. All of us should be praying for each other and our goal in praying should be to live and pray in a way that would have the same kind of healings effects as, as Elijah in our lives. And when he prayed for rain after a three-year drought and the Lord did it. You can pray these kinds of prayers. And so, in the first section here, verses 13 through 18, a few, prayer, a few applications for you regarding prayer. That we talked about prayer. We're going to talk about restoration in just a second. So, one, pray in the midst of your suffering. Pray in the midst of your cheer. And sing praise to God whenever things are going well. Second, second, call for the elders to pray for you when you're sick. If there's people in your family that need Call for the elders to come and to pray for healing. Third, confess to each other how your life is really going um, and how you need help in your life um, and believe that you actually have the ability to pray with great power like Elijah. Second section here is in the last two verses. And I think that it's probably the most appropriate way for shoot it to you straight, James, uh, to end. You, you, he, he, in a sense, kind of changes subjects on us, right? He's been talking about suffering. He's been, in the previous sections, talking about how people are getting done wrong. And so he wraps it up by saying, in the midst of all these sufferings, how people are doing you wrong, he wraps it up here in 13 through 19, say, or 18, saying, now you need to pray. And then all of a sudden, you have 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders for the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's kind of a subject change. What's going on here? Well, first, um, let's notice a couple things from the text. The, the person that that guy's going after is likely a Christian. It's likely a Christian. They're not going, he's not, you should go after unbelievers, of course. The people that don't know Jesus, you should share the gospel. But in this context, he's talking about people that are Christians. Watch, my brothers from anyone among you wonders. The among you sounds like they were here. Maybe at First John 1, uh, 2, 19 or 20, whatever it is, they went away and someone brings him back. So they've been brought back. So it sounds like someone that was in the community of faith and they left. And James, Pastor James here, has a deep desire that they would be restored. So the family of God 
should pray for the sick um, and pray for those that are in the family of God. But also, as we talked about in verses 13 uh, through 18, that we should be a people of prayer. But we should also, in verse 19 and 20, um, the family of God should be people that seek to, to uh, find the straying and bring them back. And this wandering, it's not clear. It says wanders from the truth. And so there's, there's different kinds of wanderings away. So if they wander away theologically, we want to go to them and appeal to them and try to bring them back uh, to uh, believing the true essentials of the faith. There's, we can talk about this forever, right? But there's, there's kind of first tier, second tier, third tier issues. If they've wandered away from the first tier issues, which are the gospel, Jesus is the only way. Uh, there's no other way to be saved besides Christ. The virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are all true. Those are the first tier issues. You know, you can talk about other things like eschatology and stuff like that, but those aren't first tier. You can believe different things and still be a Christian. If someone's wandered away from the first tier issues, we want to go to them. They can also have wandered away morally. They've rebelled against obedience to God's word, and we want to go to them and love them and bring them back. They've also could have wandered away just relationally, as in, and this is maybe more common in, in our churches, uh, they've wandered away from the community. And if someone, this, I've seen it time and time again, if someone is in a community and they wander away from their church community, they become super vulnerable. The wolves come out and they start slipping theologically. If you get out of community and you get out of scripture, you will be a wanderer. It just, it's the way life works. I've seen it over and over and over. If you get out of community and you get out of scripture, then you will wander away from the faith. This is why we as the church need to be actively, continually going after them. And the question is then, if that's the case, if someone among us wanders away, you just have to ask yourself this question. How much do I truly love them? How much do I truly care for them? Because it'll determine whether you go. It'll determine whether you go and try to restore them. If we know that someone's wondered, we should pray for them, we should love them, and then we should go get them. Obviously, we should do it gently. Read Galatians 6, 1, that we want to do, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Um, but nevertheless, he's called us to be able to do it. He's not called the person beside you, if you know them. He's called you. And so God uses his people to point those that are straying away back to the mercy of Christ and forgive them. And so I think it's amazing here as we, cl- as we close this letter in 19 and 20 that, that James, after giving us all this in verse 19 and 20, Pastor James closes with a concern for the wonder. He has a deep concern for people that were in the faith and that they've left. He exhorts the church to action to go and bring them back. As a good shepherd would, he exhorts them to come back. But here's the amazing thing, is that we have an even greater shepherd than James. We have Jesus Christ. Praise God, we have the good, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus. Jesus loves his people better than anybody. And we were far away. He left the 99 and came after us. We were straying and brought us back. And like it says in Luke 15, he went looking for the one and brought us back. He actually gave his own life for the sheep and then was raised three days later for us. And he makes us righteous because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so now we can pray to him because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We actually have access through prayer to God the Father. And we have a privilege, an amazing privilege to get to be 
spread all throughout the world, little pockets of the family of God, churches everywhere. We have a privilege to take part of um, being a part of small families of God where we can actively participate in these two ministries of the church of prayer and of restoration. He's given us that privilege. And we have this amazing hope that one day there'll be, there'll be a day where there's, we're not praying for healing anymore because we'll be in heaven where there, there's no need for this um, day-to-day healing. There'll be no more sin that we can, can commit because God has brought us home. And so he's going to come again as it promised uh, in verse 7. Uh, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. He's going to come again not as a suffering servant, but instead as a, as a conquering king. He's going to put all of his enemies under his feet. And then that day, the entire earth will finally experience shalom. Total physical, spiritual, and relational healing will be given to all of us. Imagine that. Complete, total, physical, spiritual, and relational healing. Every person that's a believer in Christ will be restored relationally. All of our bodies will finally be restored into their final state. And we will sin no more. But until that day, until Jesus comes, by the power of the Spirit, let's be faithful people. Let's pray for each other. And let's go get our brothers and sisters and bring them to the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for this text that you've given to us that points us to Jesus ultimately. I pray that we would truly believe because of Christ, because of the gospel, that we do have the power to pray these kinds of prayers. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would put people in our paths that we can have as prayer partners for the rest of our life. And Lord, if there's anyone among us who has wondered theologically or morally, relationally, that we would care enough to go and make an appeal to them with gentleness to come back to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.